To the cheeseheads who want it fresh and the ones who think Lambeau is a cathedral. This is Pax What She Said. Now, here's Perry Goldstein and Maggie Loney. Welcome back to your third straight victory. I was going to say Victory Monday, but last one was a Victory Friday. Your third straight victory episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined, as always, by Perry Goldstein and... What a game, Perry. Sunday Night Football, reigning Super Bowl champions at Lambeau Field. And the Packers pull out the win. What team are we watching, Maggie? <laughs> what team is this? This is not your first half of the season, Green Bay Packers. This is a team that has figured it out. <laughs> um, Wow. This is like one of those wins where there's actually so much to break down that I almost don't know where to start um, because it was so big and it was so impressive. And if you if you listen to our game preview show, we did go into some ways where we thought that they could be competitive, some key matchups that we were watching for, like Matt LaFleur versus Steve Spagnuolo and you know, what Jordan Love could do and the way that they could use these young receivers and if they could get the running game going and, you know, what 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 this defense would look like against Patrick Mahomes and everything that could have gone right went right for this team. And, like, the bar that they set and the precedent that they set and everything that they did right against the Lions, they repeated again against this team. And not just, like, a team, but, like, the reigning Super Bowl champions <laughs> well and like and here's the thing too that that makes it impressive right as you go into you know there was the narrative it's just the rams it's just the chargers whatever like the packers maybe weren't beating like a certain caliber of opponent so then you go into detroit on thanksgiving at ford field it's a hostile environment and you're like okay they beat a division rival. Division games are always kind of wonky. You know them better than you know anyone else. Like maybe this was another kind of fluky performance from this football team. We're not sure what to make of it. We think they're ascending. There's no question marks anymore, right? Like this was the third best defense in football and the Packers hung 29 points on them. This was a Patrick Mahomes that got sacked 14 times all season and got three, which was tied for the most by any team all season. You know, like it was everything that we needed to see from a Packers team played clean football again, didn't turn the ball over. Like these are all things that we talked about in theory, how you need to play a clean football game to beat a team of that caliber. Well, the Packers are doing it, even, you know, arguing maybe they didn't play their cleanest game of the season. Still had their their toughest stretch where we said yeah. they maybe go zero and four and they're sitting at two and oh. Yeah. Twenty seven. Not 29, but still it's the most points that any offense has put up against this chiefs defense so far this season. You said it, they are the third best team in the league. Now, if you're a chiefs fan and you're watching this, yes, we will grant you that you did lose a handful of your starters. However, you still had a handful of your starters and a Chris Jones who can single-handedly wreck a game who did bring a ton of pressure on Jordan love all game who handled it quite nicely and a defense who held the chiefs offense. And I don't care who is out there catching passes from Patrick Mahomes. It is still Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. This Packers defense 
still held the Chiefs offense to under 20 points. I mean, I look, I am a Joe Barry hater. Like I am a full fledged Joe certified Joe Barry (laughs) hater. And I am like very, very impressive with what that side of the ball was able to do. And I think a lot of it was player execution. Like you said, the Packers pass rush got home three times against Patrick Holmes. Keyshawn Nixon came up with a huge, huge interception at like a very key moment. Um, and we're going to dive into, I think, all of that. But I just think all in all, top to bottom, all three phases, huge, just like complimentary football, big win. Everyone stepped up. Everyone did their 111th. All the cliches, all you wanted to say. But this team, this team's hot. Like this team is getting hot. And I think Matt said it afterwards. And I I just like bears repeating. It feels like, like they're putting in the work, right? He said it. Like they have been coming into the building, they've changed their practices, the guys are getting together separately outside of practice to go over film. You know, Keyshawn said, like, I didn't just make that play on a whim. He's like, I saw the check. I knew Mahomes is like arm, you know, positions or whatever, hand signals, you know, throw an Aaron Rodgers term out there for you. And I, I, I mimicked the route. And I like, that is like full on homework that this team did on the chiefs. So once again, this is preparation and execution. So amazing, uh, amazing. Um, before we dive in to the offensive side of the ball, maybe let's just get the referee thing out of the way before we go, because okay. my, my thing is that they were fantastic for the entire game except for the very last drive. So like classic Um, both teams had horrible calls, which to me kind of negate each other. Um, Jonathan Owens, terrible call. Carrington Valentine. Sorry. That was DPI. Terrible call. Um, Don't talk to me about hail Mary. No one ever gets called on anything on a hail Mary. I don't want to hear you discuss it. It's a hail Mary. There's no rules on a hail Mary. Sorry. There's nothing happened there. So, it's a little bit of like a null and void situation. Um, at the end of the day, the Packers outplayed the Chiefs. For four quarters, they outplayed the Chiefs. The Chiefs never at any point led that game. The Packers led for all four quarters. And could Patrick Mahomes have done some Patrick Mahomes magic and led a game-winning drive there? Gone down the field, scored a touchdown, gone for two, tied it gone into overtime, won the game. Yeah, maybe, but the Packers outplay the Chiefs and they deserve that win. No call, schmo call. Don't care. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think you said it, right? Like these are a lot of negating things where, you know, that throw on the next play probably doesn't happen if the penalty is not called, you know, and there, there's a lot of like moving pieces here. You could also argue- Right. MVS going out of bounds. You know, the clock should have kept running. The clock should have kept running um, when they overturned the fumble. You know, so there's a lot of things where like clock time management, a lot of those things were abysmal. And I said it on Packaday, right? Like, I agree with you completely. 58 minutes of that game were like perfect. It was fine. We talked about it really clean on both sides, not a ton of penalties. And of course, all of a sudden you get into the final two minutes and all hell breaks loose, which seems to happen. But yeah, I also agree with you on the Hail Mary. The one the one thing I did say, if there was ever, ever a questionable Hail Mary, it was Randall Cobb against the Giants in the playoffs when he just went, 
God. But other than that, yeah, every other but Hail like Mary the I've discourse seen. around the Hail Mary at the end so of the game exaggerated. really bothered me because like the Packers are celebrating the win over the Super Bowl champs, and you have like the whole booth discussing whether it's a penalty on a Hail Mary. Like, shush, shush, let them celebrate. Be quiet. It's a Hail Mary. There are no rules on a Hail Mary. Be quiet. We're, we're done here. And I mean, the, it just in general, look at the red zone offenses all, all game. The Packers holding the Chiefs to three multiple times in those big moments. Like, that was the difference in the game. A couple bad calls, yes, but what do we hear every week? when? Because the Packers, you know, people don't want to believe that the Packers have also been on the, the opposite side of some of these calls. They're not always the ones benefiting from these calls. The answer every week from any professional player or coach is you can't leave it up to the refs. Right. Do you wish that the game would be played in a way that referees don't have to get involved and maybe don't alter, you know, the trajectory or maybe change outcomes with their decisions? Of course. But human error is involved anytime you have humans making these kinds of decisions. And yeah, you can't leave these kinds of games up to the refs and absolutely agree with you 100%. This was a game that the Packers took the lead. They never gave it back and they deserved that win at Lambeau Field. 100%. Okay, so. So let's talk about it. <laughs> the king of my the king of my kingdom, our franchise quarterback. If they could, they'd be extending him right this very minute, but they can't because they need to wait for a year until his last extension. Um, number 10, 25, 36, 267, three tuds, no interceptions. He's put them on notice. <laughs> We're officially on notice. Jordan another incredible performance. I mean, I think even better than the Lions game for me, this game was a thing of beauty. He was slinging it every throw. I mean, he had, I mean, I'm trying, I'm, it felt like well into the first half, he didn't even have an incompletion. It was just like full mind meld with his receivers. He was spreading the ball around the route tree was open. Matt LaFleur was in his bag. I thought like the first drive was the, the epitome of everything that you must do against the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And you and I were talking during the game too, obviously, as we usually are, which is like run the ball effectively, which we didn't know like how this would go, right? Because the Packers haven't been the best run team so far this season but the Chiefs have a bottom of the league run defense so if this was going to be a game where they maybe get this back on track you know this was it um AJ Dillon full head of steam this is his season running super downhill looked great you get Jordan on some really nice completions Matt is scheming guys open you've got big chunk plays even in the first drive Really fun stuff, getting everybody involved, really heavy personnel too. All the tight ends are on the field. You got Henry Pearson on the field and you're just churning clock. I mean, just churning clock. I think the first drive was what, like eight and a half minutes. It was wild. Yeah, like It was really long and you ended on a really beautiful tight end boot. Matt loves that tight end boot. I think Jordan's really comfortable with a lot of that boot action and you can do all of that because the run game is working really well. As everyone predicted, the first tight end to have a touchdown in this game, Ben Sims. Um, and it was a thing of beauty. 
right? You drain the clock, you keep Pat off the field, you come away with seven. You just like, it was just, it was perfect. And I think I said it on pack day and I didn't say it on our show. So I'll, I'll say it here. It was just like, I felt like coming out the gate, if the scripted plays worked, okay, we're in this. If we come out the gate and Steve Spagnolo has Matt on his scripted plays, we might be in for a long night. And so when the first drive looks like this, I'm in my head, I'm thinking, this is going to be a fun night because Jordan's executing, Matt's execute, you know, Matt's in his bag, Jordan's executing to perfection. And it ne- they never took it away after that. It was just Green Bay owned like every aspect of that game from like the line of scrimmage to the time of possession, everything from there, from that first drive. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, we talked about like keys to success. One of the things you can't do is turn the ball over against this chief defense. Packers did not do that. They played really cleanly. We talked about taking shots to open things up. So your offense doesn't become one dimensional. Packers did that in spades, had plenty of opportunities to do that really nice mix of run and pass, which we hadn't seen in previous weeks, a little bit against the lions, but that's definitely picking up to just everything you wanted to see from this offense. And you know, we can talk about maybe specific moments in more detail if you want, but just a lot of the decision-making, like the trust is so visible and evident there, not only with like Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love, but Jordan Love and all the receivers. Like you can tell that this is such a cohesive and supportive locker room when you have a fourth and one call and you throw it for 33 yards, you know, like these decisions into triple coverage, like crazy. these these are things that you wouldn't expect from a guy who started less than a full season. And here we are talking about his development. And I mean, obviously he's a different player than he was two years ago. And these teams are different, but against the blitz in his first start, he looked so uncomfortable and so rattled. And we thought that would be the game plan going into tonight is how will this Packers pass pro hold up against a really, really daunting blitz. We know Spagnuolo loves to do it. And I think Rob Domofsky had said after the game that he's like 8-0 against the Blitz all season with touchdowns, like no picks, just really comfortable getting the ball out. The touchdown to to Watson where he steps up into the pocket with pressure, that, I mean, spoiler alert, was my play of the game. Yeah. Yeah, because it's such a heads-up play and it's such a vet play, right? It's like keep your eyes downfield, don't let the pressure. And, but he was like that all game. And I think it's such a good example of like how he was all game against pressure. And I mentioned it earlier, but Chris Jones is another game wrecker. He's another Max Crosby. He's another Aiden Hutchinson who earlier this season were just ruining, you know, Jordan Love in this offensive lines day. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Chris Jones was all over this game. He beat Josh Myers in that interior multiple times and it actually didn't matter to love he had him in his face multiple times even on that fourth and one right he got he beat josh myers clean on that fourth and one and it literally did not matter jordan could hang in the pocket get the ball out set his feet and make completions under pressure and like to be to make that jump and i think the comparison obviously to his first start is so easy in this one because it's the same team, but it's so good because you can see such a clear, like developmental leap and to be able to do what he did in this game versus first game, like 
you're, it's going to be really hard to stop him now if he can make the throws and the completions that he made continuously under pressure, especially. Yeah. I just, I, I was just so, imp- I mean, we talked to, we've talked a lot over the course of the season about his like composure and his poise and how he doesn't get rattled. And like, now we're seeing it kind of translate a little bit more. Um, and it's a trait that you can't really teach. Like, it, you, you know, it's like one of those intangibles. Um, and he's just, he, he dazzled on, on Sunday night. He really did. Yeah. And I mean, obviously we're elated because all of this worked really well, but you can see, right. The progression. And we talked about it. One of the things I said about this team early in the season was that the easy stuff is hard. And that's not the case anymore. And we've seen that now for the past five weeks that they're really putting it together on that fourth and one Aaron jo- or Aaron Jones. Wow. AJ Dillon was open for like just a, maybe like in five or six yards, pick up the first, you know, and move the chains, keep the drive alive. And instead Jordan love, you know, with pressure in his face, throws in a triple coverage because he knows that's where Romeo will be. And Romeo has come up in those big moments before. So just really cool to see not only is the easy stuff easy now for this team, but the hard stuff that didn't work for the first like eight games of the season is now yeah. working. And it's just another wrinkle for the Matt LaFleur offense who Matt LaFleur, who by the way now is 16 and oh undefeated in still in the month of December. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, th- the, all the questions too about his accuracy, I feel like we can maybe put to bed at this point, like that was a drop in the bucket. The second Christian Watson touchdown, gorgeous, put the ball like only where your receiver can get it. He had so many of those. He's had so many of those over the last month, but I think especially in this game was an absolute showcase of his talent. I think you and I have always said like the arm talent is there. The arm talent has always been there. The arm angles are there. The strength is there. It's just, practice reps getting out there like there's no replication like what's the word I'm looking for there's just no you can't you have to have the game reps the live game reps um so the other thing I wanted to bring up and because I was doing the rewatch there was so much can 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 in this game it was really the first time that I had heard of him checking at the line and I, Aaron Nagler replied to me on Twitter and he said he was going to ask coach about it. So I'm waiting for coach's answer, but it really felt like the first game where he was even given like the luxury of checking at the line. And so you're looking at an increased role too, and probably like a confidence in your quarterback of making changes at the line. And I'm sure that they have like first play. If it's not there, here's your second play. This isn't like Aaron Rodgers like getting to do whatever he wants. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like Jordan Love can read the defense, say, I'm not getting the look that I like. Now I get to go to the second, you know, play that Matt and I have decided is the second play for this that that we've called in. That's huge. Like yeah. again, we're looking at development for this offense. Like that's huge. This offense could barely do one <laughs> one play like two months ago. And now they can like check a defense and can and go to their second called play and then execute it appropriately and effectively and move the chains. Like the uh, 
exponential, exponential growth. And I'm just very impressed with QB1 for his ability to do that, especially, like we said, against a top five defense in the league. Yeah, and one of the things I want to talk about, too, just really quickly, because we talked about the Chiefs obviously being down quite a few starters just during the game itself. We had said, right, you know, on Twitter, it's kind of been one of the talking points, but this is a Packers offense that is still without Aaron Jones. They don't have David Bakhtiari on the defensive side of the ball. Corey Ballantyne was second on the team in total tackles. Like, I think he had 10, which is just insane for a corner. And you've got, you know, without Jair. So this is a team that guys have been called into spot duty all season and they've answered the bell. There have been some moments maybe that haven't been pretty, but the way that this team is playing Christian Watson, you know, the come up and we talked about guys getting on the same page. He's been dealing with injuries. And unfortunately now we have the hamstring injury to we'll see kind of what the results of that turn out to be later in the week. But you're just getting guys on the same page, even without some of the quote unquote stars that you expected to have at your disposal all season. So it's really nice to see Malik Heath, Dontavian Wicks, some of these really young guys able to come in and contribute right away. Ben Sims. (laughs) One catch for one yard, one touchdown. One touchdown. He uh, got that ball framed for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that being said too, we still don't have a receiver who's had, who had an a hundred yard day. Yeah. Right. So we've got Romeo Dobbs, four receptions, 72 yards. Christian Watson, seven receptions, 71 yards. Dontavian Wicks, three, three receptions, 43 yards. Tucker Craft, three receptions, 37 yards. You get my point. The point being is that this is a team that uses all of their weapons in a multitude of different ways. It is the Matt LaFleur offense. He can hem and haw all he wants about people calling it that. But this is the fun, you know, wrinkled complexity Matt LaFleur offense that we have been very excited to see. And now he has a a signal caller who, sorry, a quarterback who's executing it at now a very high level. And it looked great. Like it looked really, really, really great. Um, and I think we both agree and we still agree. We don't need a wide receiver one. Now I think on the ascension of Christian Watson, as it be, I still think he is of all of them. He has the prototype to be wide receiver one. And I think if he continues on this trajectory, he will be wide receiver one, he hit over four and a half touchdowns on the season last night. He cashed me some money on that mm-hmm. bet. Thank you very much. Um, but it does, they don't need one. And I think that's something really fun about this offense that, you know, you and I have always said is that you spread the ball out and it stretches defenses because they don't know where to go. Yeah. And I mean, I think just like we can switch to the defensive side of the ball here in a second, but going back to kind of like the what this team needed to do to win. We agreed that they had done just about everything the right way, but it's it's really interesting, right, to see kind of the difference from the team we saw in the beginning of the year when they could barely get anything going on the ground. You know, they've got nine rushing first downs and 15 passing first downs, zero first downs by penalties. So, you know, throw out any excuses about them moving the chains because of flags. They were doing this with the design of their offense, which makes it really impressive. 
third down efficiency, 50%. That's fine. The fourth down, 100%. But I was personally surprised. It felt like the Packers had such control over the game Mm -hmm. that when it came out that it was like almost a 50-50 split exactly for time of possession, I was kind of surprised. And I know the Chiefs had some long sustained drives, but maybe it's the way that the Packers definitively capitalized. We had seen them settle for three so often that it it felt like one of those games, right? Where if it's going to come down to settling for three, the Chiefs are going to eat them up. So for them to just put such a stamp on every drive and go down and end with seven instead of worrying about three and worrying about, you know, could the Chiefs come back? It was everything that we wanted to see this offense able to do. And I'm glad that the ball is getting spread around. It's fun to think about what this offense can look like when, you know, you have an Aaron Jones. And for everybody also talking about Patrick Taylor getting out of bounds, I firmly, firmly believe he was told to stay in bounds and burn clock. I I don't think there was a world where they wanted him to go out of bounds on those two plays. Yeah. Um, Yeah. To your point, I think you play any other quarterback and they go out of bounds. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think you play a very different style of offense, keep away offense when you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side. Um, Same with the, the idea to punt away instead of going for the field goal there you know my dad and I were debating in our text because he said the same thing he's like Patrick Taylor should have gone out of bounds and I said draining the clock they're up they're not trying to give Patrick Mahomes the ball back he was like why they punt they should have take the points I'm like you miss that field goal and you give Patrick Mahomes amazing field position there no way at least three it's at least three points (laughs) it's at least three to your other point they're not leaving points on the field anymore right Like, and that is so huge. And the fact that the only thing that backed them up or slowed them down was their own self-inflicted penalties, you know, I'll take it, right? Like, again, against the third best defense in the league, only they stopped themselves. Um, And it did really feel like they dominated this entire game. Um, That is interesting that it was only 50-50. Speaking of domination, okay. we'll, we'll flip. Okay, let's they flip. did not dominate on defense. However, they did make some key stops, and that's all that mattered. <laughs> um, this was the definition of bend, don't break. Like, the <laughs> definition, because they allowed some huge chunk plays. <laughs> like, um, third and forever. I, I'm I'm sorry. The score says 27-19. They allowed huge chunk plays. I mean, you left Travis Kelsey wide ass open. And, like, let's be real. If the Chiefs had even, like, one other good pass catcher, this game looks very different. So um, I'm not ready to give Joe Barry his flowers. However... You came up with some, this team came up with some huge sacks at some huge moments. Keeping Patrick Mahomes and this offense to field goals is always a win. And then in the second half, making them punt and coming up with an interception was the key to the win. So this to me was actually like a win from the defensive players, in my opinion, not from the defensive coach. This was the players coming up with big plays in the big moments. I want to know what you think about that. I mean, like Keyshawn Nixon had had even said in his post game that the style of defense that they play is bend, don't break. And 
every offense is going to get their yards against you because they get paid too. And they also study film. So like to that point, yes. At the opposite side of that point is that maybe, you know, 87 should be circled <laughs> anytime you're watching film as to say, don't leave him wide open. And I'm not putting that on Nixon or anything, but I just mean like, when you're watching film and you're making mental notes of what you want to do in a game, there's certainly areas that maybe you should focus a little more on, but yeah, I mean, I think for sure this was the defense stepping up and Nixon had said that too, right? That there had been times where the offense had been tasked with going down and winning football games. And the last couple of weeks it's been on the defense to hold and they've been able to do that. I still don't think Ben don't break is a sound strategy long-term, especially if you're potentially, which we will talk about, the playoff picture and being a playoff team when you're going up against 49ers style offenses and, you know, teams that can put up points like rain, you know, I, but it was enough for this chief's offense. And I don't think that, I just don't think that that's going to be good enough against the teams that they'll be seeing in the playoffs. At some point you have to just not bend either. My biggest issue I would say is that, because I agree with you, right? If this team has aspirations past this season, this defense still isn't good enough. This scheme isn't good enough. And so if you're look like, yeah, this is fine. If like, Ooh, we're just excited that we made it into the playoffs this year. They retained Joe Barry after this season. All of a sudden this offense is taking that next step and is like that juggernaut. And this defense stays behind. And now all of a sudden we're back in that same like Aaron Rodgers place that we were, right? Where, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I do. And it's like, and and you're exactly right, where you're making it to the playoffs and your defense can't sustain you against high-flying offenses. So that's my fear. Um. We shall see. We have a long way to go. And we have a whole offseason to discuss that. But, like, that's just my thought process watching this game. Because, again, holding the Chiefs to 19 is a huge, huge win. And I will never take that away from them. But, again, I put this win and this game on big plays from our star players, from our playmakers, from our Rashawn Gary and from Preston Smith and from Devontae Wyatt and LVN and Keyshawn Nixon – who watched film and made plays. And again, like it probably looks different too when you get a Jair Alexander back and when you're getting Eric Stokes back. And it was great to see Darnell Savage back in, in the game. I just don't, I still don't love the scheme and I still don't love the way it puts our players, our star players in positions. So we'll see the way the rest of the season goes but that's my take. And I think the thing that's so concerning with the bend don't break style of defense, because it's been Dom Capers, it's been Mike Patton, like it, this has been the bread and butter of Green Bay's defense for a very long time. And when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, it masks a lot of deficiencies because the bend don't break defense really only works if you're putting up a significant amount of points. Because if you bend when mm-hmm. you're playing with a lead, you can allow for some chunk plays and burning clock. And at that point, you're just trying to keep the offense on the field, make them work for it. Great. Like if you keep everything in front of you, it takes time off the clock, knowing that your offense can come back out and score points. 
just because the Packers offense is getting to a place where they can put up over 25 points doesn't mean that that's what you want to then be relying on. And yes, we, you know, we said this Packers team held the Chiefs, held Patrick Mahomes to sub 20. That's a win 10 out of 10 times. Matt LaFleur even says if you can hold opposing offenses to 20, regardless of who they are, you expect to win those games because you expect your offense to be able to put up 21. That said, you just don't want to have to have your defense only capable of those big moments when they're playing from a lead. You know, the idea of complimentary football is that you're getting turnovers and you're giving the offense ample opportunities to put up points. And I'm just not sure. I think they're playing really well in all three phases. This is no argument. The best this team has looked all season. And I think that they, they could, you know, have some fun in the playoffs. I just don't think that this kind of defense is sustainable long-term when you're relying on an offense to be able to put up, you know, 28 points a game because you're going to give up 25. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, do we have long-term concerns about Jair? Because I'm, I'm a little confused now. It's been four weeks that he's been out. So why not IR is my question. And I, the thing that is concerning too is it's the cliche, right? You don't know anybody who had a bad back. He's now had a back injury. It sounded like against what was that? The chart. Well, it sounded like older now. But I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure his back's got to be part of that. But yeah, I mean, it sounded like he was ready to play against the Chargers, and they sat him, probably with the intent that he'd be ready to go in four extra days for the Lions against a, you know a divisional opponent. Then he misses that one and you're like, okay, you've got now kind of like a mini buy to get ready for a primetime contest. And then he's inactive again. So yeah, I mean, I think at this point it's fair to wonder, like, I think it's probably just like the Aaron Jones situation where he thinks he's going to be ready every week. And how do you IR someone who could theoretically play, Mm. but then, you know, you wake up and you tweak it and it's like, okay, well, there it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he tweaks it every day, every week in pregame warmups, it doesn't matter how good he looked all week because he can't go out there and play as a DB with a shoulder and back injury. Yeah. You know, it is pretty amazing what the secondary has been doing without him. We'll say that you mentioned it earlier, but I will say like you get Carrington Valentine, a rookie seventh round pick. Corey Ballantyne, who, I mean, was he even a draft pick? He was drafted um, 2019, I think. Okay. Keyshawn Nixon, whom we love, but is not like a world beater at slot corner. Anthony Johnson Jr. at safety. Jonathan Owens at safety. Darnell Savage is back, which is lovely. Was a little surprised at how little Rudy Ford played, but that could be the maybe his injury had played a role in them easing him back. And they held the Chiefs playmakers. I mean, look, Travis Kelsey got his, but they held him to under 100 yards, which I think for Travis Kelsey is a win. Four catches, <laughs> 81 yards. Rasheed Rice, went, again, like he's their young, kind of ascending rookie receiver, 64 yards. MVS barely did anything. And I mean, Isaiah Pacheco was their offense. They were able to get over a hundred yards on the ground. So once again, the Packers run defense kind of rears its ugly head, but at the same time, it didn't really matter (laughs) 
right? Because they never were able to really open up the playbook. The Chiefs weren't. And the Packers kind of handled business in coverage. The the Valentine thing, you know, it, it's really cool because he leads the team right now and passes defense. And I think if you go back and replay packs, what she said from the trade deadline, we talk about like the absence of Russell Douglas and what that means and what that can even do for like the cohesion of a locker room. He was a leader. You know, we heard the next day that he and Aaron Jones cried together when he was getting traded. So like those things, you can tell that he was like one of the hearts of the defense and that can make or break a unit to lose a leader like that. Mm-hmm. And you've got Jair, the other leader in the room who's unable to play with injuries and I had said on pack a day and I'm not trying to like give myself flowers or anything here, but I, we all had to pick like a breakout player. And I said, I think it's going to be Carrington Valentine. And I said in spot duty because I, I put the asterisk and I said, if he has to play long term, that's a bad sign because then you're missing one of your starters, but we've seen a starter get traded. We've seen a starter get hurt. And now we have Carrington Valentine who's playing like, a long-term starter at corner, which yeah. is this. I mean, I think it was, I think Tyler Brooks, somebody had tweeted out a list of all of the Packers, 2023 draft picks and their current contributions through 13 weeks. And it is just such an impressive class and it's early. Obviously some of these guys can fall off, but it is a very positive showing for pretty much the entire class. It's pretty hard to pinpoint someone and say that they're not actually making an impact. Yeah, we're going to get to Brian in a second, but yes. Um, Really quick before we talk about the playoffs, Anders Carlson. Another rookie. Two for two. Made that 48er. Totally changed the game. Made it a two-score game. Basically, not put it out of reach, but made it a hell of a lot harder for the Chiefs to come back little bit of a comeback redemption, small redemption game for Anders um, in the cold, in the snow. I did say on pack a day, my prediction was that this might be an Anders Carlson, like walk off win. You said that on pack. So she said too. I did. Okay. I, I replicated. I try to be consistent with all of my <laughs> points. Scoring. Yes. Um, it wasn't a walk off, but he did kind of, he was the dagger. He was the deck. And I mean, he gave them comfort, right? Because if you're Patrick Mahomes and you are playing from a five point deficit instead of, you know, like an eight point. Oh, yeah. Knowing the Packers had stuffed a two point conversion earlier. So Mm -hmm. to to have that in their back pocket, significant. Which, by the way, like, uh, again, to the defense's credit, like huge swing in the game because you tie that up there and all of a sudden that game resets. Mm -hmm. Right. But the Packers get to keep the lead. Yeah, just domination from the Packers team. Okay, playoffs real quick. Let's talk about the playoffs. Playoffs? Uh, <laughs> you want to playoffs? talk about the playoffs? Playoffs? Packers? The playoffs? Uh, if the playoffs were to happen today, season ends today, Packers are the seventh seed. They're tied with Vikings, six and six. Um, <laughs> so crazy say that um they have the easiest schedule by um like statistically speaking in the nfc 
save for the Saints down the stretch. So they pretty much need to go like three and two in order to make the playoffs. Four and one, and it's like a shoe in. Um, I think that's doable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we talked about it going into this tough stretch was that if they can get through kind of the juggernauts of the Lions, the Chiefs, and like you're battered, but then you've got backup quarterback, which it sounds like Tyrod Taylor could be the guy if it's not DeVito for the Giants on Monday Night Football. Buccaneers have Baker Mayfield. The Panthers have Bryce Young in a, you know, an offense that got rid of their coach, like just an abysmal should have the first overall pick instead traded to the Bears. Terrible decisions. The Vikings don't know who their starter is going to be, right? They they weren't sure if Joshua Dobbs was going to be the guy. And then you've got the Bears. So, yeah, this is a very winnable stretch for the Packers. And I think Matt LaFleur is doing the right thing. You know, this is a team that's building confidence. They're building momentum. But you're absolutely not going to go into any of these games and overlook any team because that's when things start to get sloppy. That's when you make the mental mistakes. But this is a team that, you know, I think it was Keyshawn Nixon again that said, like, you want to get hot in December. This is a team that is really putting it together at the right time. And I know that, I mean, honestly, I would challenge anyone to find any Packers analysts in October that said, yeah, this is a Packers playoff team. I think we had all kind of written the team off at that point, but all of our. We'd written seven, the playoffs off, not the team. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. But like all of the 10 and seven, nine and eight kind of predictions that we floated around in the beginning of the season had the caveat, like, can the offense put it together? And mm. we're starting to see down the stretch an offense that is finally finding a rhythm and putting it together. They're playing mistake-free football. And I'm not saying this is a team that's going to like be the seventh seed, go into San Fran and beat up a number two seed or anything like that. But what a what a story for Jordan Love to come in and make the playoffs in his first season as a starter. It is fun unexpectedly fun being an underdog is fun uh i think that's a new thing for packers uh being an underdog so i'm enjoying it Mm -hmm. i think it also i was thinking this before the chiefs game like coming in with expectations of losing really changes the way that you watch and enjoy football Mm -hmm. um because it was a bit of like a house money game with the Chiefs. They lose that game and there's still playoff hopes, right? Like we, you just named all the games that are to come for the rest of the season. You win those, you still make it in. So you just want to be competitive in this one. And then you win. And it's like, it's like you robbed Vegas. It's like you just heisted. Yeah. Ocean's 11. Ocean's 10. This was Ocean's 10. Wisconsin version. Um, So they do have favorable matchups, yes, but you're right. And I don't think this is a team that's going to overlook games. They're going to go 1-0 every week. They're going to take every game seriously because they know that each game is a must win. Um, Okay, before we wrap, I'd like to very quickly talk about um, Matt and Brian. because they were hot topics while this team was playing poorly. So they deserve to be hot topics while this team is playing well. What do you think? Absolutely. No, I agree 10,000%, but I will let so, you, I'll let you start this off. So first of all, you and I never gave up on that. Like, let's just put that out there. We can like go clip it if you want. But if you listen to us, we never gave up on that. 
Um, it really feels like Matt has finally kind of figured out his young playmakers. And I think just like they were figuring themselves out, Matt had to figure out what worked well with them. And it is obviously clicking. And I feel like depending how the rest of this season goes, if the Packers win out or go four and one and make the playoffs, Matt LaFleur should 100% be in the conversation for coach of the year. That's like kind of where I'm at at the moment. I think Packers fans know what a good coach Matt is, but everyone always says like, we have to see what Matt LaFleur is without Aaron Rodgers. Well, guess what, everyone? You're seeing what Matt LaFleur is without Aaron (laughs) Rodgers now. So are you enjoying it or what? My next piece of mulling, if you will, is on Ryan. Because Andy Herman, friend of the show, mentioned that he rode the elevator down from the press box, humble brag, Andy, um, (laughs) with Brian after the Chiefs game, a very happy, very smiley Brian Gutekunst. And you mentioned the incredible contributions of this 2023 draft class and quite frankly, the 2022 draft class, the 2020 draft class. Um, And I would just like to point out that we always say you have to give draft classes three years, right? You have to give draft classes time. The Packers do draft and develop. They just do roster building differently than other teams. They just do. Mm -hmm. People have a lot of comments about it, but they have their philosophy and they go with it and they don't really listen to what other people have to say. And I would just like to say that clearly, clearly, is my microphone working? Clearly something's working. (laughs) Oh, okay. You're ready. I I wasn't sure if there was more to that. There is, but I'm going to let you answer. (laughs) Well, I mean... It's spot on. And we had talked about it on draft night, like 2020 draft night, that anytime you take a quarterback, it is a legacy altering decision. Ted Thompson did it with Aaron Rodgers. Ron Wolf did it with Brett Favre. Brian Gutekunst said, hey, we've got an MVP quarterback, Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame quarterback. We don't need a quarterback yet, but we like this one. And we should probably let him sit behind a Hall of Famer because that seemed to work for us in the past. We love this one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Perry hasn't even had alcohol that I know. Oh, I'm so <laughs> but you know what I mean? So like this was his legacy. He put all of his chips on the table to continue the Vegas, you know, heist and said, this is the guy that I feel comfortable with. And he got just completely decimated for it in the media even Aaron just Rod- like Ted did. Just like Ted did. Aaron Rodgers talked about his four fingers of tequila. He went on and he won his MVPs. And it. a lot of people questioned the decision that he made when he had Aaron Rodgers still playing at a high level. Even the decision to trade Aaron Rodgers was met by the media with a ton of animosity about mm-hmm. what this decision would be and how do you get rid of Hall of Famers and... This is an unproven guy, but he stuck to his guns. And Packers fans should be very fortunate 
that Brian Gutekunst is their general manager, because I don't know if you've looked around the league at what's happening in a lot of other front offices, but there's teams that have been, there's teams that have been rebuilding for like 30 years and the Packers managed to get rid of a hall of fame quarterback and they might make the playoffs during their quote unquote rebuild year. Yeah. I, again, like you can criticize the decision when it's made you can have comments about it. And again, like valid, right? You have Aaron freaking Rodgers right. on your team and you just took a first round pick and took a quarterback, a developmental quarterback. That is a move. Because you could have drafted someone that would help the team win now. And again, and again, as a Packers fan, there were right. two seasons there, two seasons where I they had a shot do I think that a rookie in that either of those draft classes gets them over that hump we can debate that till we're blue in the face we'll never know we will never know quite frankly I think a healthy David Bakhtiari is the answer to those that question but my point here is that the Packers stuck to their formula the formula that has worked for 30 years and they said this guy fits what we want. He has all the intangibles. We're going to sit him behind our Hall of Famer. We're going to let him develop. And when we think it's time for him to start, we're going to start him. Whether it makes you mad or not, we're going to do it. We're going to make the transition. It's going to be hard. It's going to be terrible. It's going to make people angry. It may even anger one of the greatest players to ever do it. It's going to be shitty. And it was, I mean, I think actually for all intents and purposes, it actually wasn't the worst. Yeah. It's going to ruin our cap for a year. But again, Brian only ruined it for a year. Next season, home free. No Aaron Rodgers on the books. Got trade value out of it. Have another second round pick coming. That's probably going to be really high because the Jets are (laughs) a dumpster fire. Like an absolute trash heap. And he said, this is my legacy. You said it. This is my job. He literally put himself and his job on the line. And he knew for three years, everyone's going to question and everyone's going to commentate and everyone's probably going to be against him because no one will know until Jordan Love plays. And I said this, and I want to go back and find it. I said, you do not move on from Aaron Rodgers unless you feel confident that you have something in this guy. You just don't do it. You hang on and you hang on and you hang on to an Aaron Rodgers, especially an Aaron Rodgers who like still feels like he can play. Now, we'll never know, really, if Aaron Rodgers can still play because I think the Achilles injury is probably gonna muddy that a little bit like if Aaron Rodgers went out this year and like balled out then like amazing you know great that would have been amazing quite frankly that would have been like the best case scenario but they decided to go with Jordan and right now it looks like this front office made an amazing decision yet again now again we got a lot of time so I'm not sitting here and like gloating I'm just saying If the Packers keep going, Packers make the playoffs. 
And again, this is also not all about Jordan Love. They get contributions from really the only other player in that draft class is A.J. Dillon. But the 2021 class, the 2022 class, and for sure the 2023 class, and they make the playoffs this year, sign me the fuck up for Brian Gutekunst being exec of the year. Like, sign me up. So, Brian... No one's going to apologize to you, but you deserve a big fat apology. And I mean, I think one of the things that we said too, when we were kind of trying to rationalize a lot of these decisions was that first round picks are busts all the time. The example that I used on this very show was the Bears drafting wide receiver Kevin White, right? Like (laughs) people botch first round picks perpetually. So, So if Brian Gutekunst wasn't comfortable with Jordan Love, or if he thought he made a mistake, I wholeheartedly believe that he would have owned it. He would have looked for some trade capital. They would have done something to keep Aaron Rodgers as a Packer. They would have, you know, looked elsewhere for an answer because that's what you do. You don't sit on your hands when you're a GM of an NFL franchise. And I just really quickly want to mention, because I know we're getting like really long here, but Monty Moore, who if you don't follow him already on Twitter, you should kind of you know, holistically made a list, which is just great because then we don't have to go digging for it. But the narrative now, of course, is that you've got the five quarterbacks taken in the 2020 draft class, the top five, I should say, all kind of look like franchise quarterbacks, right? It's Joe Burrow, Tua, Herbert, Jordan Love, and Jalen Hurts. Jury's still out on Jordan Love. We can't go ahead and anoint him as anything yet. But right now, looks pretty good. Had the Packers not made that selection when they did feeling confident in the player that he was Mm -hmm. some of their options in 2021 mac jones kyle trask kellen mond davis mills ian book 2022 kenny pickett desmond ritter malik willis matt coral bailey zappi sam howell skylar thompson the point Mm -hmm. being when you Mm -hmm. find a guy you like regardless of who is on your roster currently you have to capitalize on that opportunity because quarterback is the most important position in football. And the Packers did that. Speak girl. Speak. (laughs) Preach. That's how we're ending the show. That was so well said. You take a quarterback when he, when you find one you love, doesn't matter if you need him. See what you did there. I'm going to let you do the outro because you have brought so much energy to this show that it just wouldn't feel right if I tried to sum it all up. <laughs> oh, this has been one of the best episodes of the Packs What She Said podcast I think we've ever recorded because that was an absolutely beautiful, memorable game. Um, truly will remember that game for a very long time. Thank you for listening as always. It has been a pleasure. You can follow me at Perry underscore Goldstein. You can follow Maggie at Maggie J. Loney. Please follow the podcast at PWSS Podcast on Twitter. Follow us, like, subscribe on YouTube. Packs what she said. This episode will be up early on YouTube. You can follow us, listen, subscribe everywhere else you can find your podcasts. We will be back with a preview show. Maggie will have a special guest. I will be on vacation. We'll be back for the recap. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, go pack, go. Go pack, go.